Kings uh, chapter 20. Let's go there together. I would imagine if you guys come on a Thursday night, you pay attention, right? Okay, cool. Because uh, this is such a, a, a great chapter. I think that um, it's uh, there are lessons that are like epic lessons, and we really need to pay attention uh, today. Um, we're going to talk about things like God's will and God's wealth. And those are two things that I think we struggle with. Uh, that's the bottom line. At the end of the day, if we could get these things right, we're going to be in good shape. Number one, God's will, not your will, not your will, not your will. And that's a, a struggle that people have. How many people are really living in the perfect will of God? I mean, to where every, everything you do all day long, all your time, all your talents, all your treasures, every purchase that you make. I mean, just you're living in God's will. I mean, how many times has God said, no, I don't want you to buy that, but you buy it anyways? I mean, how many times has God said, I don't want you to do that with your time? I don't want you to, and again, not to get legalistic, you got to get with the Lord and he'll show you all the details, but I don't want you to waste your time watching television tonight. I want you to pray. I want you to go to the study. I want you to get in the word or whatever it might be. You know, I don't want you to buy that for yourself. I want you to buy that for someone else. I mean, how many times do we fall into the permissive will of God? And he still loves us and we're still saved. But at the end of the day, we're not really living for the will of the Father. And so we're going to deal with that tonight in the life of Hezekiah. And then also, not only God's will, but God's wealth. You know, um, so many people are so caught up in getting the riches of this world. And they're so caught up in whatever it takes for them to get, you know, money. And don't get me wrong, we need money. We've got to pay the rent. We've got to get some, you know, beans and salsa and things like that. You know, I understand how that works, but... You know, um, you know, I believe that God wants us to focus more on the spiritual riches of life. And we're going to see that when our treasure is in heaven, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And, and so today, God's will, God's wealth, uh, we see here in Second Kings chapter 20. Look what it says in verse 1. In those days... Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. In those days. You know, go back, if you would, to Second Kings chapter 18. And in verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king. 
and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. So he was uh, 25 years old when he began to reign. And so um, if you go over to verse 13 of chapter 18, it says, And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And so at 25 years old, he began to reign. Fourteen years later, Sennacherib comes, the king of Assyria, and he surrounds the city. Now go back over to 2 Kings chapter 20. And in verse 6, he says, And I will add to your days 15 years. And so Hezekiah lived 15 years after this whole thing happened. We know he reigned 29 years. So when you do the math, you find that this was the same time that the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem. This is 14 years into his reign. Okay, He's 39 years old. And God says to him, through Isaiah the prophet, set your house in order because you're going to die. You know, you're going to die. And all these things are happening, man. This Jerusalem is surrounded by, you know, 200,000 soldiers. And God comes to me and says, you know, I'm going to die. And, and so he, he tells him, you, you know, you got to set your house in order. And, you know, just as a quick side note, you know what? That is an important command for every leader, for every husband. Do you know whether or not you will die tomorrow? You don't know. You don't know if you're going to die or live. So I'll tell you what, we need to set our house in order. We need to get ready for that day. What if you died? What would happen to your family? You know, and you're like, well, the Lord will take care of them. It's true. We're going to have to have that element of trusting in the Lord, you know. But, you know, maybe some life insurance might be a responsible thing for a husband. Maybe not. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But have you ever thought about the possibility that you might die tomorrow? Is your house in order? Is your wife ready? Are your kids ready? You know, Isaiah says, hey, you're going to die. And so you need to set your house in order. And so we read in verse 2. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Now we read here in verse 2 that when Hezekiah found out his life was coming to an end, that he was going to die it says that he's turned his face toward the wall. You know, so here's Isaiah. Uh, and I don't know if he left it or not, but he, you know, he kind of, he turns his face toward the wall. I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't sound real good. You know, to me, that doesn't sound like he's, you know, too excited about this transition, right? And, and then we read it, look at, again at the end of verse 3, and Hezekiah wept, how? Bitterly. He wept bitterly. In the Hebrew, it literally means he just kept weeping with great weeping. You know, and, you know, I don't know how you guys feel about this. In one sense, in a human sense, it is understandable, you know, that I know you're going to die. Hey, wait a minute, I'm only 39 years old. Now, for some of you here, that's old, right? But, you know, that's not old, just to let you know. I, I'm, you know, a little bit more than that. Uh, that's relatively young, right, to die, 
crazy things are happening in Jerusalem, and, and it's in times like this, you know, that you, 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 you know, I understand, you know, the struggle that it might be. But here's the thing, and here's where we really have to repent. We have to change our thinking that our life should be built upon not my will, but thy will be done. We shouldn't pout. We shouldn't, you know, turn our backs. We shouldn't get bitter or be enveloped with sorrow. Don't you know that God knows what's best for us and for our families and for the ministries that we'll leave behind that we can trust him? A lot of guys will say, well, the real reason I don't want to die is because I want to, you know, I got to take care of my kids. You know, I have to take care of my wife. And it's true. You have certain responsibilities that you need to do, right? But you want to know something, man? If God wants you dead, then he will take better care of them than you would if you lived. And you got to know that. We have to come to that place where we say, you know what, even though I don't understand this, not my will, but thy will be done. You know, we got to know this, you guys, you know, that death for the believer is awesome. You know, death for the believer is beautiful. Paul said to die and depart for the believer is better in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. And even Jesus said in John 16, 7, that when he would die and depart, it would be to the advantage of those that he left behind. We got to know that. So we can trust God's timing in these big end-of-the-day death decisions that God makes. You know, I know it's hard. We live in a fallen world, and sometimes you talk to... You know, guys, and you know, you know this man that that we're doing a funeral for for tomorrow is only fifty three years old, and I was meeting with the family on Monday. He's got three children, and they're all in their twenties. He's just started serving the Lord, and and you know, part of you can question, but it's at times like this that we had to be so careful. We don't turn our backs. We don't get bitter. We don't just you know face God's will. We embrace. God's will. And we know that his will is best. You know, let's just say you go to the doctors one day or your mom goes to the doctors one day or your dad goes to the doctor or your uncle, whoever it is, and they say you have cancer. Let's just say that doctor says, you know, you've got three months to live or six months to live or whatever the case may be. You know, don't misunderstand me. I think it's okay to pray Lord, heal me. Lord, heal my mom. Lord, heal my dad. Heal my, my Thea. You know, and we ask the Lord and we seek and we knock. But within that prayer, it must be saturated. It must be infiltrated with, but not my will. Thy will be done lest we kick and pout and cry and end up getting our will rather than God's will. Because that happens. It really does. You know, even Jesus, when he went to the cross, he said, Father, I'd rather not do this. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. You know, if God says it's time to go, you can trust him. 
If we hear the news from the doctor, we can trust him. Now, I understand this, okay? Because I don't want to compare apples with oranges. Hearing the news from the doctor is different than hearing the news from Isaiah, the prophet. Doctor doesn't know. Doctor is not God. Doctor is not the voice of God. He does not know. But when I hear it from God and the prophet of God, I, I tell you what, I'm not going to fight God. But so many times we are determined to get our will. And this is what happened with Hezekiah. And sometimes through our spiritually immature temper tantrums, God will grant us our will. And, I, I, you know, that happens a lot. You, you make that dumb purchase like I mentioned to you before. You know, and I don't know what it is. And, again, don't misunderstand me, but I'm just going to use this as an example. You know, you want that 70-inch, you know, flat screen, you know, whatever. I don't know if they have 3D TVs that big or whatever. And you can't afford it. You know you can't afford it. And, you know, all along the way, you're on your way to Best Buy, right? You're on the way. And the Holy Spirit is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And you're like, but, Lord, I'll watch Christian DVDs on it, you know? And you're justifying it all the way there, right? And it was God's will for you not to get it. But you know what? You just plowed through every red flag, and you got it anyways. God still loves you. And yeah, you do invite your friends over and you watch those Christian DVDs. And, you know, part of you is trying to justify and say, yeah, see, I knew I did the right thing. But you know what? You didn't. How many times do we just go through and end up getting what we wanted instead of what God wanted? How many times? I know I find myself struggling with that often. There was a time in the Old Testament when the children of Israel, they wanted some meat. They were tired of the manna. And so they were just complaining against Moses, you know, give us some filet mignon, you know, give us some, some meat. And they started crying. And what ended up happening was the Bible says in Psalm 106, 15, God said, okay. And he gave them their requests, but send leanness into their soul. He gave them their meat. Here you go. It'll come out. It'll, it'll be just overflowing, you know, coming out of your nostrils. You're going to get what you want. But you tell, I tell you what, you have just sacrificed me and the joy and the love and the plans that I have for you so you can have your meat. You see, and that's where we have to be so careful. This is really what ended up happening with Hezekiah. You know, and we read in verse 4, it says, And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, and surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. And I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. You know, when you read it right here, uh, it says in verse 4 that Isaiah, before he had even gone into the middle court. And so he leaves the palace. He's on his way to the temple. And uh, the middle court was that area in between. Uh, it wasn't far. And then the word just comes to Isaiah suddenly and unexpectedly. And you're like, well, wait a minute. God just said you're going to die. Right? But Isaiah 
gives the word, he goes away, Hezekiah starts pouting, crying, praying, turns his face to the wall, he weeps bitterly, and God says, okay, I'm going to use your life as a lesson. Now, I have to admit, I think when we read verse 5, it is an awesome passage on how the Lord hears our prayers. You know, isn't that cool, you guys, how the Lord hears our prayers? I mean, he does. He sees our tears. You know, those that are trickling down your face. I mean, you know, he heals our infirmities. God does that. I love Psalm 65, verse 2. It says, Oh, you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. God hears our prayers, and he especially hears our cries. Job 34, 28, So that they cause the cry of the poor to come to him, for he hears the cry of the afflicted. You know, when was the last time you cried when you prayed? You know, and you're like, well, I'm not a crier. I don't know. Maybe we are wired differently. But I tell you what, when I get down on my knees and I start thinking about the things that are going on in this world and in this church, I can't help in my own heart. I can't help but begin to weep and cry. That, that, you know what? God hears our prayers. God sees our cries. Psalm 34, 17, it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Bible even says in Psalm 56, 8, and here's a verse that I share with you guys often, but I think it's so cool. It says, You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Now, isn't that cool? I mean, again, I think Hezekiah here goes against the clear word of God, and God is so compassionate and gracious. He says, okay, you know what? I'll give you an extra 15 years. But in that, we even see, I think, a lesson when we do pray in the will of God, how he hears and, you know, he sees our cries, he heals our infirmities. And then when we cry, the Bible says that he puts our tears in a bottle. They're all in his book. Now, what do you guys think about that? Let me ask you a question. Is that literal? Does God really put your tears in a bottle? Because does God really write down in a book every single time you cry? You know, and I think there are probably some here who would say, no, that's just figurative, Manny. And they're teaching us that God is in complete control and he's always aware of all our hurts and struggles and fears. But I tell you what, you know, Here's the rule of interpretation. When you read the Bible, and if it makes sense, seek no other sense. I'll tell you what, that makes sense to me. And one day, when you stand before God, one day when we're there with God, He is going to bring out the bottle that has every single tear you have ever shed. And He will open the book, and He will point out to you, and He will read to you how whenever you went through the struggles of life, He was there chronicling every moment. Why? Because he is the God who is aware. He is the God who cares more than you would ever even begin to understand. That's what we see here. The Lord reveals himself, you know, to Hezekiah. He tells Isaiah. And then at the end of the day, in verse 6, he says, And I will add to your days 15 years, and I will deliver you in this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Why? Why, Lord? He says, for my sake. 
and for the sake of my servant, David. That's why. See, God says, I'll defend it, and I'm going to give you the victory. I'm going to do it for my glory. I'm going to do it for the grace that is provided through my son, Jesus Christ. You see, it's for the glory of God the Father and through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom David is a picture. And what we have right here is a a refreshing renewal of the Davidic covenant and then the new covenant in Christ. And so it's interesting the way that it works, you guys. My, My prayer for you and for me is that there would be like a radical mind shift of, you know, um, even when I pray, when I pray, here's the thing. That, this is all I'm going to ask you. When you pray, please, please tag it with thy will be done. Well, this is what I want, Lord. I, I mean, even recently I was praying for something and I was praying and it was heavy on my heart. I was praying, praying, praying every single day, all day long. I was praying without ceasing for this thing. And then today I found out that God said no. But all along the way, I'll tell you what, I was praying, Lord, please, but you know best, Lord. And that's the way we got to pray. We got to trust the Lord, you guys. We really do. It's not my will, but it's thy will. And so we read in verse 7, then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. And so they took and laid it on the boil And he recovered. Now, here's an interesting thing, too. And I think it's important for us to know these things. You know, figs. How many of you guys like figs? They're good, right? Fig Newtons? Anybody? Those are real good, right? Did you know figs are good for you? Uh, They've been cultivated in Palestine. You know, one of the dreams for all the Jews was they wanted to have their own house and their own fig tree and their own, you know, vine. And and it was kind of like the Jewish dream, you know? Like we have our American dream with the house and the white picket fence. For them, it was a fig tree. Figs are are good, cultivated in Palestine. They could be eaten fresh or dried. They can make cakes, fermented. And here, a cake of figs was serving as a compress. And what, what we find is that it was then applied to the abscess. And what we find throughout history, and you go all the way back, you can go back 2000 B.C., you can study the Ugarits. You can go all the way fast forward into the times of Rome. They believed that figs had medicinal qualities, and there is a lot of evidence that they actually did. What we find is that God can heal without medicine, if that's his will, right? He can just speak it from his throne, and you can be healed. But he often and almost usually uses doctors' prescriptions and sometimes medications. we got to know that. He's not against medicine, Especially natural medicine, especially things like, you know, figs, right? I mean, today, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but Japanese scientists have isolated a cancer-fighting chemical within the figs. And so they're adding it to their treatment, and they're finding it to be even more effective on tumors, malignant tumors, in humans than they are on mice and all their tests. All this is according to investigators of the Institute of Physical and Chemical Research in Tokyo. So we see even in the Bible how, you know, this was used. A U.S. Department of Agriculture study discovered that figs not only have the ability to curtail appetite and improve weight loss, so you want to lose a few pounds, hey, start eating figs, okay? 
But here's the thing. The enzymes found in figs, it's called fissins, they also aid digestion, and fig juice has demonstrated the ability to kill bacteria. So, again, I'm not saying, okay, let's all eat figs. I mean, if you want to, that's fine. But I think the principle that we find here is that God can use medication. Sometimes people say, no, no, you know, just, you know, you got to have a faith. And God can use a doctor. God can use that medication. God can use that prescription. God can use that good diet, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, who is it? Glory to God. Glory to God and not glory to the doctor. That's right. So we find here the Lord working, the Lord uh, just teaching us things. God showed Hezekiah just an abundance of grace and not only healing him, but then he even showed him a sign. Look at verse 8. It says, And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord the third day? And then Isaiah said, This is the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing which he has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And Hezekiah answered, is it, it is an easy thing for the shadow to go down 10 degrees. No, but let it shadow go backward 10 degrees. So Isaiah the prophet cried out to the Lord. There was a cry again. I like that. And he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards by which it had gone down on the sundial. Of Ahaz. And so, you know, we're learning a lot of different things here. Like I said, the big, I, I pray the big lessons you would learn is God's will, not my will. God's will, not my will. He says, no, praise him. He calls me, he calls me home. I might die next week. You know what? Praise God. Paul said it's better to go home. I would much rather be in heaven than here, right? Praise God. When a believer dies, the Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of the saints. Right. So his will. And that's the big picture. But along the way, we learn all these other things, too, that I think are beneficial for us as Christians to know. You know, one of the things that Christians struggle with in today's uh, church is they're looking for signs and wonders. They're going to go down there to that church over there because like, there's a moving of the Holy Spirit and there's. You know, signs and wonders and people are speaking in tongues and people are glued to the floor and people are barking like dogs or they're laughing uncontrollably or they're being slain in the spirit. And they think that that's God. They're looking for signs. And that's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. We're going to find as you go through you know, church history, there's going to be a great apostasy. People are going to be, you know, they're not going to want the teaching of the word of God. They're going to want to get entertained. They're going to want to go to church and, and, you know, swing from the chandeliers. They're looking for experiences. But experiences, when people build their faith on experiences, they always backslide. They do because it's the word of God. When you're taught the truths of the word of God, it roots you and grounds you so that you stay the course. And that's why wherever you go to church, Make sure they're teaching you the word of God and you develop an appetite for the word of God, not just entertainment, not just experiences. But when they teach you the word of God, then you're going to develop an appetite for good food, which is exactly what you need to be a healthy Christian. We don't go looking for signs, even though God showed grace to Isaiah, God showed grace to Gideon. Jesus said an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. 
Of course, we know God is not in any way obligated to show the signs. He's already shown us all we need through creation and the resurrection of Christ. I mentioned to you already in Matthew twelve thirty nine, Jesus said that an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And that's what? Jesus died and rose again, right? That's the sign. That's all we need. So, you know, I would encourage in light of the words of Christ, let the resurrection be enough. Don't seek after signs. We have the resurrection, plus we have the full counsel of God. We don't need signs, right? But, you know, something interesting, if you do seek after signs, here's something interesting, you might be deceived. You know, because the Bible says in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, that the coming of the lawless one, the coming of the Antichrist, is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. So you go to the church over there, you go to the conference over there, and you know all these things are happening, and there's signs, and you're thinking, well, that's got to be God. No, it doesn't got to be God. If what they are teaching contradicts the word of God, then that wasn't God. It may have been the devil. You know, people getting slain in the spirit. Okay, where is that in the Bible? The only time we see that in the Bible is when Jesus said, I am, and all the enemies of God fell. Whenever you're looking for church practice, number one, you've got to ask yourself, did Jesus teach it? Number two, you have to ask yourself, was it practiced in the book of Acts? And number three, you have to ask yourself, search the scriptures. Did they teach it in the epistles? If it's not there, don't buy it. Be careful, because Satan is able to do lying wonders. Be careful, that so-called sign or wonder might actually be Satan, so what do we have to do? We have to test everything according to scriptures. You know, we have to test it. Hey, where is that in the word of God? Show me in the Bible. You know, why? You know, these guys are over here, and there's a revival going on. There's conferences going on out there, you guys. And that's one of my fears. I was just talking to my pastor, Pastor Raw, the other day, and he got all the pastors together, and he said, there are these conferences now that people in your church, they're going to go to. And they're going to go and they're going to think it's the greatest thing that they've ever seen because they, you know, they get goosebumps or they get entertained or they get experiences. And then they come back and they're going to bring it to the church. And they're going to say, hey, let's go to this conference over here. But you know what? Man, those conferences, which are so, you know, emotional and so, you know, there's this throngs of people going. They're off. You got to be so careful, you guys. You go down the street and what's labeled as a Christian church, people getting slain in the spirit and all these things. You know what? It's not the Lord. It's not in the scriptures. And it's really not a sign of the spirit. And so be careful, you guys. I mean, seriously. I mean, we've heard these things. And throughout the years, and this is Pastor Chuck. He's been teaching for 40 years. And, and Raul has been there. I've been now for 25 years. I've seen them come and go. I've seen the Christians barking, barking, and they think it's God. I've seen the Christians, they go and everybody's all laughing uncontrollably, like they can't control themselves. I've seen them, they go and they're lying on the ground. They're lying on the ground. They, they say they can't get up. They're glued to the ground. And they think that's God. You know what the Bible says? 
It says the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. There is never a time where we lose control. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. So whenever they come around, they say, hey, I can't help it, man. Just kind of like lost control. Then you can right off the bat, because you know your word, you can say, hey, that wasn't the Lord. Because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And we can ask for a sign, and God's not obligated to give one. In this case, he did, but you got to know, you guys, this is rare. And not only that, here's something else. What was the sign? The sign was that the sundial would go back 10 degrees. In other words, and this is crazy, you know, the sun, or I don't know if you would call it the earth rotation, started going in a different direction, you know, maybe 10 minutes. And so there you are, and you're, you're looking at the time. Nobody has watches anymore, huh? We're all looking at our phone. And so instead of the time going forward, it goes backwards. Okay, let me tell you something. That is a clear, clear miracle. It's a clear miracle. But a lot of times what people see as signs, not even really a sign. Oh, Lord, if it's your will, uh, please make that, you know, light signal turn green. You know, please, Lord. You know, or whatever it is. And, you know, you know if it's going to be a sign, then let the light signal turn purple. You know what I'm saying? Let it be an absolute, no way you can possibly explain it. If you're going to call it a sign, then it has to be a miracle. Like with Gideon, when he tested the Lord, and again, you know, here's the guy that needed encouragement. He said, well, let the fleece you know, be dry, everything else is wet. And so God said, okay. And so imagine putting like a piece of cloth out there in the, in the, in the morning and everything else is wet and this is dry. And you're like, okay, Lord, well, let me do it reverse this time. Let everything else be dry and this be wet. I mean, this is a, these are clear miracles. You know, and, and I know the Lord, he speaks to us in, in different ways and we listen don't get me wrong. I think God has his way of, of nudging us and showing us his will. Little things here and there. We hear the still small voice of God. But if you're going to come out and say it was a sign, then you got to make sure it really was a miracle. You know, the virgin birth, that was a sign. Isaiah 7, right? 14, Isaiah 7, 11. And, of course, we know God is able to, you know, make the sun stand still or make the earth stop rotating or go the different direction, right? We know he did that for Joshua in Joshua chapter 10. So, anyways, with Hezekiah, God was so gracious in granting these requests. But underneath it all, you guys, you know what you're seeing? You're seeing that Hezekiah is not finishing well. He's not. Hezekiah was a good king, right? You guys know that about him? He was a great king, but he didn't finish well. And today when I was praying and I was talking to the Lord about this, I said, Lord, I don't get it. Like, it's like all these guys are sinners. And the Lord said, yeah, they all are. And, at the, and I just said, Lord, anyway, we just got to be reminded, you are the only one without sin. And you put some guy up on a pedestal. I don't care if he's a modern-day prophet or a biblical character. They will always fail 
and they will always fail us. You guys, keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Do the best that you can. Remember, you're a sinner too. You are. I am. Hezekiah was. He didn't finish well. Now, of course, we don't take it lightly, but we learn from these things. We get all discouraged. I can't believe that he did that. I can't believe that he fell. And yes, you know, it breaks our heart, but we see it. We see it. The Lord will never fail you. Stay focused. Be encouraged. And learn from their mistakes. You know, what we find is that he struggled with man's will over God's will. Something I think we can all relate to. And then he also struggled with man's wealth over God's wealth. Look at verse 12. It says, At that time... Barodak Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and showed them all the house of his treasure, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment and all his armory. All that was found among his treasures, there was nothing in his house or in all his dominion Hezekiah did not show them. And then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came from a far country, from Babylon. And he said, What have they seen in your house? And so Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not shown them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord which you have spoken is good, for he said, Will there not be peace and truth at least? In my days. Hmm. See, I really pray, and this is for me too, man, I love God's word, that we would be so consumed with God's will and that we would be so consumed with God's wealth. Not my will and not man's wealth. See, and there's always that struggle, you guys, that we have. You know, here these guys come from Babylon. And, uh, you know, something interesting. Over in Second Chronicles thirty-two thirty-one, it says that these guys were actually sent to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land. And so they heard the news, and by this time it might already be that the angel had come and killed 185,000 Assyrians. And so imagine if you heard that, you're, you know, you turn on Eyewitness News Channel 7, and there's a... You know, whatever the names are. And they're saying, hey, there was something pretty amazing happened today. You know, one angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrians, right? And so um, they sent guys to Israel. Because this king right here, he was an adversary to Assyria. He'd already been defeated by the Assyrians twice. And so he wanted to find out how in the world did they defeat the Assyrians? How did this amazing miracle happen 
where an angel came and wiped them all out. How did Hezekiah get healed from this disease that was terminal? They said he was, he was gone. How did it happen? And so they send the guys there. It says in Second Chronicles 32, 31, to inquire about that, to find out about that. And what does Hezekiah show them? He shows them all the wealth of his, you know, kingdom. Oh, look at how much gold I have. Look at how much silver I have. Look at how great this temple is. Look at the palace. Look at the shields. Look at all these things that we've accumulated over the years. Look at all my stuff. When God actually sent them there for him to show them the wealth of the Lord. This is your chance. This is your opportunity now to witness about Jehovah God, the living God. And here he is doing what? Showing them all the other stuff. And what you find is that what ends up happening is where your treasure is, there your heart is. That's where his heart was and it was revealed. And I remember a long time ago, we got this really cool CD duplicator, DVD duplicator. And... uh, you know, it was, you guys remember cassettes? There was a time where cassettes were big. Some of you are too young for that. You're like, what are cassettes? Anyways, um, and then the CDs came, and we were all excited because we got this, you know, tower with it does like nine at a time. And I said, hey, this is so cool because you push the button, and they all go in, and you push. When they're all done, they all come out. And I remember um, I was thinking, man, I would like to take a video of this and just show the congregation. Look what we have. Look what we have now. <laughs> And then I remember, this was many years ago, the Lord said, no, don't be like Hezekiah. He wants to show them this stuff. I mean, even a while back, the board was here, and we have pastors from different churches that are on our board. And part of me wanted to take them, hey, check out this new classroom we got over there, that classroom over there, and, you know, things like that. But the Lord said, no, you don't talk about, like, any of that type of wealth. You just get right here in a circle and you pray. You talk about the Lord. You know, imagine that. I mean, here there was he was wealthy. God had done so much. And what did he do? He just shares with them all the gold and silver and worldly wealth that he has. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory or boast or gloat in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Look at verse 13, if you would. And Hezekiah was attentive to them and and showed them all the house of his treasures, the silver and gold, the spices and precious ointment and all his armory, all that was found among his treasures. There was nothing in his house or in all his dominion that Hezekiah did not show them. To him, you know what it was? It was a show. It was a show. Is this a show? I tell you what, you go to some churches, big churches, and not all big churches are bad. A lot of good big churches, but there's a lot of bad big churches. It is just a show. It is just a show. 
And guys, we have to come to that place where it's about the spiritual riches that we have in knowing the Lord and getting our lives right and repenting of our sins. Stop talking about people. Stop gossiping. God hears everything. It's all getting written down. You're going to pay for it. God wants us to be holy people. It's not a show. You know, we come to church and we huddle so that he would speak to our hearts. Sometimes I see the things that people do and they've been walking with the Lord for how long? And you're going to do something as dumb as that? You've got to repent. You've got to get your eyes on the Lord. Stop making excuses. You've got to change. Don't tell me that you can't change because God lives in you. It's not a show. It's about this life that God has for us. And, and, and sometimes I think, and I've seen it in the church, and I'm like, wow, this person has been walking with the Lord for, for probably 20 years longer than me. And what a witness that was not. No, we got a witness to the lost, and we have to be a witness to the church. And so, Hezekiah, we learn. Lord, the spiritual wealth, huh, Lord, the riches. If we ever boast or gloat or glory, if we have anything to show the people, let it be the spiritual riches, because we are rich. You guys know you're rich, right? Even though you're like, man, I don't have, I'm just going to go to McDonald's today. You know, the dollar menu. You're still rich. You got to know that. We have the treasure, number one, of God's word. Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. So they come over your house, you open the Bible, teach them the word of God, right? We have the treasure of God's kingdom. Matthew thirteen forty four. again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Why? For that treasure. That's God's kingdom. That's what we have. We have the treasure of God in us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay, that the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. We have his word. We have his kingdom. We have him in us. We have the treasure of God's wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, in him, thinking of Jesus, in him, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have all these things as believers, and we need to treasure those treasures, which is why Jesus said in Matthew six nineteen through 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So you're putting all your money into your house. You're putting all your money into the things that are temporary. You're not investing in the kingdom whatsoever. And I'm not talking about, hey, this is all I have. I've got to pay my rent. I'm talking about you've got a surplus, and all you're doing is building on your own kingdom, building bigger barns. And so the Lord says, well, where your treasure is, where you're spending your money, there's your heart. You know, I talk to some people, and the, they just they spend all their money on themselves. And it almost makes you want to vomit Stop it. 
Why are you spending all your money on yourself? You're going to be in love with yourself. Narcissist. That's who you are. You got to start spending your money on the things of the Lord. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. But Hezekiah didn't really value God's will or God's wealth. And as a result of that, the people would suffer. First of all, by losing those material treasures they trusted in and they boasted in. And so remember, you know, Isaiah says, hey, it's all going to get taken away there in verse 17. And sure enough, 2 Kings 24, 13, Jeremiah 27 talks about how they took everything away. And not only possessions, but then eventually people. We read that in verse 18. And so his son, we're going to see next time we study, Manasseh is actually taken away. And then, you know, Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. And then according to Daniel chapter 1, other relatives and nobles were taken away. But isn't it kind of sad what we read about Hezekiah, what he said in verse 19? (laughs) He says, that's okay, that's cool, because at least it's not going to happen to me. (laughs) At least it's not going to happen in my days. And let me share something with you guys. A lot of times that's the way it is. You know, you're, you're living your life and you're making your decisions and they're not good decisions. And you're going to be okay. But your children will not. Are you cool with that? I'm not cool with that. No, Lord. Rather have the attitude that says, you know what, let them be blessed. But here we see Hezekiah was really struggling in his walk. Verse 19 doesn't sit well with me. What ended up happening was, you know, you read Hezekiah's story, and, you know, when he was surrounded by the Assyrians, he got the victory. And uh, he even, you know, won that in mighty way. In one sense, he escaped the lion. But what ended up happening was he succumbed to the serpent. The serpent got him. Right? Because he got caught up in his own will and he got caught up in his own wealth. Even these Babylonian guys, they come, you know, and they say, hey, you know, I got some presents for you. Oh, you're such a great king. And, you know, start buttering him up and flattering him up. And the Bible says in Second Chronicles 32 that he was real happy with these guys. But they were just coming in to spy on him. Man, people give gifts. You love them because they give you gifts. Be careful. Be careful. So what ends up happening? How could this happen? Well, apparently Hezekiah did not guard his heart. Now, I know we're getting close to the end here, but you guys got to turn to this verse, okay? Turn to Second Chronicles 32. And verse 31. This is one of the scariest verses in the whole Bible, man. Second Chronicles 32 and 31 it says, However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Does that, doesn't that like frighten you? Like, okay, man, he's going to get tested. He's going to get tested. And God says, I'm not going to carry you. I'm not going to, I'm not, you're not going to be a puppet, puppet at this time. I'm not going to put my safeguards around you. Let's see who you really are. Let's see what type of person you really are. 
Let's let your heart be exposed. And what ends up happening, boom, all he cares about is himself and his kingdom and his money. You know, I just, man, to me, that tells me something. That says the day might come where God will do the same thing to me. And when I think of Proverbs 4.23, it says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. I trip out on what people tell me sometimes. They don't think I'm listening, but I'm listening. You know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing something not good. Not good what's spewing out of their mouth. Why is this spewing out of their mouth? You want to know why? Because they're taking garbage in. And so a lot of times, a lot of times, people are caught up in their own kingdom. Let God raise you up. You don't have to exalt yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And then he will raise you up. You've got to be careful what you put in your heart. Because one day, your heart might be exposed. And that's what happened with Hezekiah. And so what ends up happening? In verse 20 and 21, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah, all his might, and how he made a pool and a tunnel and brought water into the city, big deal. (laughs) Are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And so Hezekiah rested with his fathers, And then Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. You know, Hezekiah was able to postpone his death, but he couldn't avoid it altogether, right? And you guys, I do encourage you exercise. I do encourage you eat your veggies. I think it might prolong your life in all reality. Pray, God heal me. You know, maybe you'll live 70 years. Who knows, 80 years, but sooner or later, man. Either we're going to get raptured or we're going to die. Or we're going to stand before God. And my prayer is that you know the Lord. And that you have no woulda, coulda, shouldas, no reserves, no regrets. That we would live a life that would bring God glory. Again, I don't want to overdo this in any way. But, you know, during the extension of Hezekiah's life, he showed the Babylonians all the treasures that they would carry away. And then his son Manasseh was born, who would eventually be the worst king that Judah ever had. Again, I don't know for sure, but I think it would have been better if homeboy died when God said, it's time to die. And you know what? If the Lord says it's time to go, you know what? Let's rejoice, you guys. Let's pray, Lord, may your will be done. But man, may we rejoice in his will always. I pray you would know God's on the throne. Again, don't get me wrong. Hezekiah was a good man. uh, Relatively speaking, he was honored. He was saved. But I believe he's a lesson for us all as God's people that we need to finish well, you guys. Finish well by praying for God's will and by treasuring God's wealth. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for... Loving us the way that you do, Lord, I I just ask that we would be consumed with your kingdom, Lord. And I just pray, Father, for every person here, that you encourage them in your love. And, Lord, that you would bless us. Sometimes your word, I know for me, anyways, as I go through it and i got to preach this to myself, it is a hard thing to listen to, but it is what we need, Lord. And so I pray, Father, we would be open. Uh, to the correction 
of your word and that we would be wise. Love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'll worship.